Hello, I'm Amy Mullins and you're listening to the 3 R Uncommon Sense podcast. The show is broadcast every Tuesday from 9am till 12pm. This interview is with Peter Volubin, author of The Hidden Life of Trees, What They Feel, How They Communicate. Peter Volubin is a German forester and conservator and he joined me from his home in Hermel in Germany. And you're listening to 3RRR. I'm Amy Mullins, and up now we are speaking to Peter Volubin. He is a, a, a forester in Germany, and he's also a conservationist. Um, and he's written a book called The Hidden Life of Trees, What They Feel and How They Communicate. And uh, it is an absolutely fascinating read. Uh, it's published in Australia by Black Ink Publishing, and uh, we are just delighted to have Peter with us right now via Skype from his hometown in Hermel. Thank you very much, Peter, for joining us. Hi, Amy. I'm glad to be on your show. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so first up, uh, this book is fascinating because it talks about trees um, as if they have their own life that, that is quite hidden. It's not really very visible to the average person. Um, and I wonder when you were first working with trees um, in your role at uh, the Forestry Commission in Germany, whether you really did um, notice this hidden life or when it actually came to you or you first noticed um, that they that there was something more going on uh, beneath the surface and under the ground? Yeah, um, when I started um, as a forester, I, yeah, I, I knew as much about the, the life, hidden life of trees as a butcher knows about animal feelings because a forester is, yeah, is, is a timber producer and as, as such a forester, I used to look at trees um, yeah, just um, um, in terms of their quality. Um, that means um, a tree is a good tree when you can make straight planks out of it. And it's a bad tree when it's bended and when there are many branches on it. And yeah, just look at trees like like on raw material. And uh, um, then we, uh, as, as a little child, I always wanted to be, uh, yeah, something like a con- con- uh, conservationist. Oh, sorry, I don't know the word in, in English exactly, but uh, some, someone who wants to protect nature since I was a little child. And I, then I realized as a forester that I'm going to destroy forests. And um, then I traveled around and looked at some other forest districts. And I saw that uh, there are people, forest owners, uh, who manage their forests much more environmental friendly and um, without heavy machineries, without clear cuts, um, keeping the, the family bands of trees, and there are family bands of trees, uh, together, live together, and uh, those forests um, are um, much healthier. And um, and what's amazing, they they uh, the people earn much more money with it. And then we thought here in our little village, wow, that should be the way we we should go in the future. And then uh, when we changed methods, then I discovered all those amazing things because I I I, I get a new look on trees. Yeah, and um, you in your book make this distinction between uh, the forests that have this ancient growth, so trees that have 4,000 years of life um, behind them, and then these other kind of forests which are more prevalent throughout Europe, which are newer forests and their plantations. Um, can you describe to us the difference um, between those and, and the forests that you're working with? 
Yeah, and um, in a common forest in Germany, um, yeah, there, there are no real forests that are plantations. And um, in those plantations, uh, trees grow very fast and they grow without their their parents and um, they, they have been planted. And when you plant trees, you uh, cut the roots to have com uh, compact uh, roots because that is much easier to plant. And then you cut the brain-like structures at the root tips. And what will happen to us when we would cut someone's brain-like structures, we all know. And for trees, that's also a very heavy damage because trees are able to discover whether their neighbors are a different species or their own species. If there's this are family members or even a mother tree is able to discover whether seedlings are its own children. And, um, and then the mother tree will connect them and uh, feed them via root connections with sugar solution. Uh, you may even say they suckle their children. And um, in a primary forest, um, little tree will yeah will have a youth about uh, three, two or three centuries before it is allowed to grow faster. And um, that means a tree which which have uh, has a very long lasting childhood can become very old. And nowadays in our plantations, trees are forced to grow very fast because so they are ready to the market after, let's say, 60 or 70 years. And that means that the trees are, after that period, very exhausted. And even if you would um, left, leave them in the forest, in a, let's say, in a, in, a, in a conservation area, then they couldn't become uh, very old because, yeah, they are exhausted. And it's it's we can compare that with the industrial keeping of animals, of pigs, for example. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and you mentioned about this whole concept of um, baby trees or young trees growing up and um, the need to be strict with them, and particularly in a forest setting where it is very enclosed and they're planted or they've grown very closely together, that they um, need this kind of strict upbringing to be able to actually uh, grow slowly in the beginning and understand, um, you know, the behaviours that are necessary for survival. So only taking as much water as is needed and not receiving as much sunlight um, so that they don't grow as fast. Um, could you please, you know, share a bit more about um, that that process um, of the young trees growing up and the behaviours that they learn in order to um, survive and grow older in the future? Yeah, um, they, um, uh, an old mother tree um, uh, gives uh, a deep shade um, to the little ones so that only 3% of the sunlight reaches the ground or the little ones. And that's not enough to live and not enough to die to make photosynthesis, to produce sugar. And therefore, those little ones uh, are suckled by their mother trees via the root connections. And um, the, um, yeah, after um, two or three centuries, when the mother trees die, then there's a light spot for the little ones, and then they can grow uh, up in, yeah, and say in, in groups like a kindergarten. And when we have their trees, which are not growing straight up, uh, which are bending on left or right like like a clown and like a class clown um, in in uh, in, a, in a school class, um, then uh, this this clown will be yeah, will, uh, the other trees grow faster because they grow uh, straight, and then those this clown will be left behind and uh, will even lose those three percent of the sunlight and will die. And after uh, long periods, we just have uh, straight young trees there, 
and they are they can stand better storms, for example, because uh, the wood is constructed perfectly so that there won't be any cracks inside. Those trees uh, can become very old, and um, they are connected uh, through the the whole ground via the roots and via a fungi network. And um, they they get support when they when they when they will become sick, and uh, vice versa when they are very healthy and the neighbor tree is sick. Then they support the neighbor tree so that the whole community can become very old and very stable. And that's really interesting um, part or idea that you pick up in your book, and it's it's displayed throughout in all of these um, scientific findings that it's really about um, a community, and that's how that they survive and that they grow and um, and are I guess successful if you want to put it in a capitalistic term. But if we're looking yeah. at um, you know this idea of community. Why is it so important to trees? You're mentioning, um, you know, the root system and that there's a great deal of interconnection through the roots, but there's also even greater, um, more extended connections through the fungi that grows and attaches itself to the roots. Um, in this concept of community, how do the trees support each other and do they distinguish between one another um, in terms of their species? Yeah, um, uh, trees support um, each other without any condition, but uh, just within the same species. Um, uh, different uh, tree species are as far genetically seen as far away as, as we and goldfish, for example. Um, so that's no racism among trees when, for example, uh, beech trees and uh, oak trees are harassing um, each other. Um, that's that's just a very far uh, uh, foreign species. But within a species, trees are very social because a, tr a single tree knows instinctively that it is not a forest. And just as a forest, uh, it's possible uh, uh, to survive uh, to survive and go into the future for trees because, for example, together then they can cool down. In, in my forest district, there's research being done that in summertime, uh, in, in primeval forest is able to cool down uh, in average of uh, three degrees uh, in comparison to managed forests. So um, the climate change is for an intact forest no problem. The air is humid; it is cool. That's exactly what trees love. And um, yeah, when when a tree would compete against other trees, then uh, they they would be like lone wolves, and uh, they would stand alone. And we can see that in parks or in cities or in managed forest areas that those trees won't become older as some centuries and that's nothing for a tree. Absolutely. And and you're just picking up here on this idea of a lone wolf or as you call them, um, street kids of the forest, those trees that are in urban environments or are just separate um, and not together with their own species. Um, in terms of the street kids or these loners, um, we, you know, in Australia have uh, many different species of trees, which would be quite different from Germany in some regard. Um, but, you know, in Melbourne, for example, where Triple R is based, uh, we have many trees in the middle of a street um, on the side of a, a nature strip in front of houses, but they are fairly separate um, and there aren't that many bunched together. How do these trees um, survive when they are alone? And are they at a disadvantage um, if they're not planted together? Yeah, um, and that um, it, it doesn't matter whether the, the trees are in Australia or in Germany. Uh, that are different species. You are right, but the 
the system is exactly the same. So um, trees, it doesn't matter whether it is eucalyptus or the beech trees here in Himmel, they are used to live in family bands. And when you plant uh, trees um, along streets, then they are alone. Uh, then they are on their own. For example, when they grew, they grow up without a mother tree, that means that they can grow very fast because they get as much light as they want. And uh, we always think that a fast grow growth um, is healthy, but it's just vice versa. Those trees get exhausted, and yeah, they they will die perhaps after two or three hundred years. And we think, wow, that's a long period, but that's nothing for a tree. And um, they suffer also because uh, the soil in the streets uh, streets is compressed, and uh, it uh, can't store very much water. Uh, the roots uh, are disabled because um, during the, the act of plantation they um, had been cut so that the, the root tips are cut off so that they are, are not able to connect uh, even if a tree is um, uh, in the neighborhood. And um, a tree is also, it's also a disadvantage when it's uh, standing near a street light because trees have to sleep at night. That's a very new research being done from uh, universities, universities of uh, Finland and Austria, that trees really uh, change their silhouette at night. Um, the branches will come down a little bit, even though the pressure of water uh, rise at night. So we don't know what, what trees are doing when they are sleeping. <laughs> we can, the research is uh, really at the, at the beginning and the moment. But we know that trees are sleeping uh, at night, and when the street light is burning the whole night, um, then the tree um, will die much earlier. That is fascinating. <laughs> Do you think that we're going to be changing any of our practices around um, trees in urban environments anytime soon? Have you seen any, any change in attitude towards trees in the city and, um, and those that are planted alone? Um, do you mean in, in what what um, the the gardeners, uh, the city gardeners, yeah. are doing for the future? If if they change it to a more friendly way of of uh, treating trees? Yeah, absolutely. Are there yes. you know are cities changing their practices? No, no, not in the moment. We in it's uh, in um, in Germany. Um, it's when when a tree is planted in a city, um, they plant as as big as possible because. Uh, we don't have time, um, and we don't have time. We would, we like to have big trees. We like to have the whole street ready for use, and that means the bigger the, the, the tree you plant, the harder it is for for the tree to root. Um, and uh, there, I I don't see any any change. But it would be so easy to have a change. For example, when you have an, an old park in the city, then and and you have, for example, oak trees or whatsoever, then you can. Uh, Put some seeds in in the soil, and well, yeah, and then you have uh, soon you have a little family there. Um, that sounds strange, and that sounds a little bit like Lord of the Rings, but it's so easy to help trees with this because um, it's it's much better to let trees grow out of a seed. Then you have an undamaged root system. It takes time, yes, and that's I think that's the main problem we have with trees that they live on a, a, a very different time schedule. And uh, um, we are too fast for them. Uh, we always want to have results, fast results. And that's why we treat trees sometimes a little bit rough. Yeah, it's almost like they're just decoration sometimes, or that's the way they're treated. Um, and one of the things that uh, we're facing at the moment in Melbourne is that a lot of our very old trees um, – 
uh, they're being looked to be moved or relocated because of big um, infrastructure projects that the government, um, you know, wants to put in and these trees are in the way. So, um, it, you know, we're having a discussion at the moment about whether these trees should be moved and if it will be um, bad for their health. So, can I... I'm understanding from you that um, in term, if when you do relocate a tree and your the roots are um, damaged, that that would be bad. Do you think that um, you know relocating trees is just as damaging to trees um, in the city as you know planting them? Like as you say, um, you know we're already grown as adults in Germany. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's exactly this. Um, a tree, the root system of a big tree. Let's say a tree which is. Uh, let's say, um, um, 30 meters in height, then you have a root system with a diameter twice as much, in this case, 60 meters. And there, it's not possible to dig out such a big root system. So you, you have to damage it to, to move the tree. Um, you, can, you, know, you may say that's, that's a, a big problem, and that's right, but the, the, big, the bigger problem uh, would be to fell the tree um, if there is no other solution. And I think that's the point. Um, trees, uh, even if they suffer in cities, um, there's a good reason to, to have trees in cities for the people because they can come in contact uh, with trees, they can feel uh, em- empathy uh, for the trees, and therefore, um, yeah, for example, children uh, which are growing up in, in big cities like Melbourne or Sydney, um, yeah, if there were any trees, um, yeah, there, there, there wouldn't be any love for trees. And therefore, I think uh, trees in cities um, is like keeping animals in zoos. Now, there are good reasons to do so, but there, for the animals um, themselves, it would be better to live in the wild, and that's exactly how it is with trees. It is a good compromise to have trees in cities, but uh, there could be uh, some better things done in the future yeah, if you would give the trees a little more time to grow and uh, yeah, not, not to plant too big trees or to remove old trees if, uh, if uh, how, um, wherever it is possible, it's better to let them live where they are because their life is, even if it's uh, long for, uh, to our time scale, their life is, is uh, short enough. Absolutely. And and I've just after reading your book, I actually have trees um, near my apartment building, which is in the city. And uh, they're three really large, beautiful gum trees. Um, and it reminded me of a part in your book where you describe um, trees that are of the same species um, that grow close together tend, if they're friends, um, and if they, they're you know, friendly neighbors, they actually support each other. And when they're growing up, they don't tend to compete for space um, where the branches and the leaves are. Um, could you just share a bit more about that? Yeah. Um, trees of the same species, if, if that are trees which usually live in family bands and that are most trees of primeval forest, uh, they like to to uh, grow as close together as as they can, and um, um, there are and sometimes there are friendships among trees, uh, closer friendships than to other trees. And then they combine their root system to a single root system. And that means, for example, when you fell one of those trees, the other one will die, like an old couple where uh, one partner deceased and the other one says, "Okay, I I don't want to live." Uh, any longer it, it doesn't make any sense so um, that's a good advice for people who have a garden uh, sometimes they are told by foresters to to give the 
freeze more space uh, by felling neighbor trees. And that's a wrong, uh, wrong advice because trees of the same species like, like to live together, li they like to support each other and they even can create a little, a little, little bit better microclimate. And uh, you're listening to Triple R. I'm Amy Mullins, and we're speaking with Peter Volobin. He's written a book, The Hidden Life of Trees, What They Feel and How They Communicate. Um, so, and now we're just about the root system. Um, and I just wanted to explore it a little bit more because you talk about it um, as being the most important part of a tree uh, and that they're somewhat the equivalent of the brain, um, you know, a human brain, but it's their equivalent of a brain. How is it brain-like? Um, because you do mention that it has a couple of things that brains do have, um, that it's got chemical messages and it also has electrical impulses. Can you explain how that works? Yeah, um, you're right that we don't know where the brain is, but there are some structures in the tree. For example, at the root tips, um, that's a research being done by the University of Bonn, there are brain-like structures and there are brain-like processes going on. And you're right on both chemical and electrical ways, like our nerve system is working. But on trees, uh, as I said, trees are very slow. So electrical signals travel as slow as, let's say, uh, half an inch per per. Um, a uh, half uh, uh, a second per half inch so um it's very very slow traveling this signal so um it's for for us even if we would be able to communicate with trees uh it wouldn't be possible because trees uh, would need hours for an answer but uh trees for example um we know trees have a memory we don't know where it is so far but we know that trees can count um that's the strong research being done by the university of bochum, bochum here in germany um, they found out that, for example, apple trees will bring their new leaves um, just in spring just after a certain amount of warm days. And they count those warm days, and when a certain amount is achieved, then they bring out their new leaves to avoid a late heavy frost. And um, that means that a tree has to have a memory, because otherwise it would count every day uh, again one. <laughs> and um, we know that trees are also able to remember heavy droughts. And that when they suffered from a heavy drought, then the, the wood cracks inside and that hurts the tree. Trees can feel pain. We know that. And uh, when trees suffered from such a heavy drought, it will change its uh, water consumption, its strategy from uh, the next spring on for the rest of its life. And, and that's a new research from the University of Vancouver in uh, British Columbia. Um, they found out that old mother trees are able to pass those uh, memories to the younger generations. That is just fascinating. <laughs> so the wisdom is passed down from generations. Yeah, and right. And uh, therefore, it's, it's uh, very important um, for the forest industry not to remove all, all old trees, not to make um, big clear cuts, not to remove all, uh, all old trees because... Otherwise, uh, when you plant new trees or when you let them grow out of seeds, they have to learn all things uh, once again. And that means that such a new forest it's, is more uh, endangered because uh, when, when a heavy drought uh, is coming and Australia, I know, is suffering from several heavy droughts in the last decades because of climate change, um, then a well-prepared forest is, is able to stand such a drought and a new forest which, which hasn't any experience with uh, such uh, climate phenomena uh, will suffer much more or, or, or even die. Yeah, it, that is a really huge issue and I think it will become more of an issue um, 
in the future as well. And uh, we also have a bushfire season every summer, which can be um, pretty bad. We had one um, a few years ago, which uh, was really detrimental to the trees. And I wonder if that is also similarly really um, distressing for the trees that survive. Um, And then there are these other trees that are burnt um, to the point that they die out. You mentioned in your book that um, when these other trees around um, the trees that are living die, um, the living trees are still sending out signals to those trees that may have died? Um, yeah, they are sending signals. Um, um, uh, we don't know uh, for so far what, what a tree really is. For example, when a tree is, is burned by a fire, we are not sure if the root system is still alive. Um, and um, we don't know where the main part of a tree is. For example, when you cut a tree and out of the stump will grow a new stem. Uh, then is this a new tree or is it just the bearer of new solar cells for, for the root system? We don't know that uh, so far. And um, so far there are connections for, uh, from living trees to trees which we are supposed to be dead but which are possibly uh, still alive deep in the ground because the root system is going very, very deep um, um, of some tree species and therefore... We never know that exactly, but um, there is a strong communication between trees, which is also both on chemical and electrical way, and which is also going through that wood wide web, through that fungi network, which is going all over the uh, uh, all uh, through the soil of a forest. Yeah, and you did mention um, that there's this way that they communicate through that wood wild, wood uh, wide web, <laughs> and uh, that they actually tend to communicate to the point and share resources, this kind of um, sugar that they have as energy, um, so that they photosynthesize at the same rate, um, even though some of those trees would be growing in very different conditions. Yeah, right, and that that is uh, a very good. Um, um, discovery because I think uh, we see there a perfect social system. Uh, there's a support for the, the weak members of the forest. Uh, the strong members are um, giving sugar to, to, the, to the other trees. So uh, it's a support without condition. And that, I think that's a good, good example for how a society should work. And uh, I think it's, it's no um, incident that that uh, our social system should work the same way because nature um, doesn't invent um, the same thing uh, twice or, or three times or much or more often. It's one system which works for every social living species. And what we're now seeing in, in Europe or all over the world with uh, the rising nationalism, uh, when, we, when we would be trees, no one would have um, the idea of doing things like that. Absolutely. There would be com- healthy competition. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> right. And uh, um, yeah, and, and competition between trees of the same species. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, for trees. It's uh, not not usual because um, yeah, they they want to keep the whole forest because just as a whole forest, they can stand all those things like climate change or droughts or insect attacks or whatsoever. Absolutely. And 
you do kind of just bring up this debate about um, animals because these trees, they sound like almost humans and throughout the book, um, you know, you make it really relatable so that you know, you can understand um, that their processes are very much around um, things that we relate to and that we do on a daily basis or should do more often um, and that there's this um, comparison now between plants and trees and also animals um, and that perhaps we should be uh, supporting them and taking care of them more um, than we do uh, and that we should be seeing them as things that have um, senses, that have feelings to some extent, um, not necessarily emotions, but that they have, that they can feel pain and that uh, potentially they can even scream in pain. Um, it's not absolutely known as you mentioned, but uh, what do you think about this distinction and, and the blurring of it? And is that a good thing? And, and should we be um, treating trees like we treat animals? And presumably, hopefully, we're treating animals well. Yeah, right. That's exactly that. Um, um, to divide uh, the beings into plants and animals uh, means just that they're, they uh, gain their nutrition in different ways. Um, but plants make uh, photosynthesis and produce their own sugar and animals have to feed on, on other uh, species. And that's uh, the, the main uh, difference. Um, the, the all other things, which means feelings and strategies and um, yeah, what, what, uh, what's uh, the facilities of, of such a trees, that's, that's um, there, there are no, no big differences. And um, the only big difference, for example, between an elephant and a tree, and, and a tree is like a plant elephant, is that a tree is much slower. And so we, we can't uh, realize what's, what's going on. And therefore, most people say, ah, oh, that's an oxygen producer, that's a water purifier, that's a timber uh, production which is going on there. But that uh, a tree is... A, a, a similar wonderful being like an elephant and that is uh, living in its family bands and what's what uh, what we talked about yeah that is uh, very much uh, overlooked and yeah i my wish w uh, for the future would be that we treat plants with the same respect as animals we can use plants i'm myself eating with firewood that's nothing else than uh, tree bone of dead trees, which has been felt just before, um, for the reason to be fire in my stove. And that's okay. I just want to have the things, things in a better balance. Um, and whenever we have a choice to treat trees better, then uh, my wish would be then uh, you should do that. Yeah, I absolutely hope this does change the way we um, approach forest and forestry and conservation, but also our own gardens and our cities uh, landscaping. Um, so yeah, just it's just fascinating. Do you know why we haven't been having this discussion about trees yet, it, and why it's not so widely known? Um, yeah, I think it's um, we are. Um, yeah, uh, perhaps three decades behind the uh, discoveries of scientists. Uh, when we look at animals, it's not, not long ago, perhaps 20 years ago, we treat them like uh, a machinery, like bio-robots and uh, robotics. And uh, nowadays we know, okay, that's not okay to treat, for example, pigs like that because we know they have feelings. Uh, when you go 50 years back, um, human babies were... Uh, operated by by um, uh, doctors 
without without any um, oh, I don't know the the English expression uh, anesthesia uh, or yeah right yeah. right yeah uh, at uh, at the open body and the 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 babies were screaming and the the, the people were saying ah that uh, just uh, reflex uh, that that has nothing to say nowadays we know oh that that is horrible um, and when we look at animals now we say okay. Yeah, they feel also some things, and we, we shouldn't treat them like we do it in the, the big industrial keepings and industrial farming. And perhaps in, in 10 years, we look at trees in this way. And I think that's okay to, to treat all beings with respect and to, to um, think about it before using them as, yeah, as for our needs, which is uh, still okay. Um, we, we are not able to make photosynthesis. We, we, we are no plants. So we have to use other beings, but we, we, I think we should use them with a little bit more respect. Absolutely. And they are really intelligent. Um, the one thing that I found really fascinating, apart from a million things in your book, was that um, you mentioned this thing about um, the savannah in Africa and that these trees would um, give off a, a toxin um, which would put off the giraffe from actually eating their leaves. Um, and then they would send that um, ascent down the way through the wind to warn their other neighbouring um, trees. It, it really seems like they are, um, they're in their own kind of world that uh, we don't quite understand, but that they are really um, smart. Yeah, they are smart. For example, that's a very new research from the University of Leipzig um, here in Germany. They found out that trees are able to uh, um, um, decide if whether they are, the branch is bitten off by a deer and they can taste the saliva of the deer and then there's a special substance uh, pumped into the branch to get rid of the deer, or um, if a human breaks off the branch. And then is, there is another, another direction, because um, it doesn't make sense to, to bring toxic uh, substances into the branch, because we, we don't eat <laughs> branches. So uh, the tree uh, has another direction against humans and against deers. So uh, trees can um, recognize what's going on. They are very slow but uh, that doesn't mean um, that they are not, not able to register anything or make decisions or have memories, have feelings. Yeah, they are just very much slower. That's the main difference. Yeah, absolutely. And Peter, your book um, is so successful. It's been translated into many languages. And I know that uh, you've been doing multiple interviews um, because it's just had such an amazing pickup and it's really um, sparked everyone's imagination. Um in your your work that you're doing at the moment in Germany, um, you know you have received a lot of attention for this. Um, what have you been doing at the moment to um, expand your work and to bring it to more people? Yeah, um, I've founded that um, Forest Academy here in Himmel together with uh, two women, and now we are offering. Uh, seminars and, and courses to uh, people uh, which are interested in uh, forests, um, which uh, who want to, want to see all those things which I described in the book, or which want to who want to manage a forest better, more environmental friendly. And I think within the next two weeks we will also offer. Uh, courses or guided tours in English because I, I get requests uh, from all over the world and even if my English uh, is a little bit rough and it should be polished I hope the people um, yeah it, it, it's it, it's going it's it's more interesting to see what we have here around and that I can show them 
uh, what I described in the book, then uh, perhaps uh, um, listen to my explanations. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, you have very excellent English, Peter. Um, so don't don't worry about that. Um, I certainly will be off to visit your tree academy or forest academy um, as soon as I can get to Germany, which is my next uh, holiday destination, I believe. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, so <laughs> I hope to see you one day. Great. Yeah, and um, and it really, I think I, I did a Google search to look at some of the species you mentioned, like the beech trees, um, and they are just stunning, particularly in Germany, the primeval forests. So um, I would urge our, um, yeah, the Triple R audience to, to check that out because um, it is just a beautiful, majestic place and no wonder you're inspired by it all. Yeah, that would be. Yeah, would be very glad to uh, welcome people from Australia. I know that's a long, long trip. Yeah, <laughs> but, very long flight. Uh, I, it's worth it. It's worth it. And um, yeah, we are ready to to have groups from Australia or other English English uh, spoken countries. So you're all invited to come to Germany and to look those old mother trees suckling their children. Thank you so much, Peter. It has been a fascinating conversation. We really appreciate your time. Um, and for sharing this secret or hidden life of trees with us, I certainly won't be able to look at another tree the same way again. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much and I hope you have a lovely weekend and week. Thank you very much, Amy. Thank you for being on your show. And you've been listening to the Uncommon Sense podcast. I'm Amy Mullins, the host of this show on 3RRR. You can listen in every Tuesday in Melbourne at 9am till 12pm. And if you are elsewhere, you can listen online through the RRR website. Hope to see you again next time.